0: Now we're gonna turn to Honeyland, an award-winning documentary. This documentary has the designation of being the first film that was ever nominated both for best foreign film as well as for best documentary in the year. To help me analyze this film, I have joining me Dr. Riley Nelson from the Department of Biology. He's an entomologist by training. Uh, He and I have taught courses together and he's a good friend. Riley, thanks for being here on the podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me to talk about this interesting movie
0: just to get a little bit of background here the and remind our listeners about the the plot that the the basic idea of this movie is that we're we follow this uh, woman Hatsizi Muratova uh, she's turkish speaking kind of deep in the balkans the last in the line of a macedonian wild beekeepers and we just basically follow her. Neighbors move in. They have a very different kind of way of seeing the world. We see a, a sort of, you know, clash that, you know, that, that or a better set a, a kind of a tension between them and the way that they deal specifically with bees, but with the environment more, more generally. We don't have any talking heads in this film. It's this kind of direct cinema approach where we're just there seeing what's going in front of us and we're left to, to deduce quite a bit. Riley, as an as an entomologist, as an ecologist, what was your impression of the film?
1: Well, I was very happy to see this woman going out and finding her bees. She definitely had bees that she was keeping close to her home, and that they were part of her livelihood. But I really liked, uh, especially the scene that uh, repeated several times in the movie, where she's crawling around uh, on a narrow ledge to get to a source of her. Her colonies, uh, a wild bee colony, and it showed uh, her using what I'll call traditional techniques of small scale beekeeping, taking skeps, making the the beehive that almost looked like the beehive that you had recognized for the state of Utah or whatever. Yeah. And, and moving things around. That was wonderful to see. I don't get to see that very often. That,
0: what do you take of her basic philosophy, right? That she she this idea of, you know, I take half, I leave half for the bees. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation in recent years about the way we treat honeybees, that this idea of colony collapse disorder has become, you know, almost a a common idea where entire hives, you know, simply disappear and that the the reasons for it are a little bit unclear, although it seems to be not a single reason, but this kind of collective, you know, all the things that we do to bees, uh, she has a little bit
1: different approach. I like that idea of, Treating your your livelihood sensibly or or actively instead of optimizing all the time and hurrying through things, it, it was clear that she cared about these bees. These uh, she was keeping her own bees and had wild bees, and this take half, leave half seems to be a in my way of thinking a better way to approach the natural world than optimize this and uh, get as much as uh, a return on investment as possible that sometimes uh, dominates our our kind of way of doing things, Western culture, if you will.
0: Right. I, I think, you know, something that spoke to me about this film and the reason we put it in our Anthropocene Cinema series was that it wasn't what some environmental films might be, which is that, you know, humans are always the problem. Just leave the bees alone. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we we benefit from what bees do, uh, both in terms of the pollination, of course, that they provide, but it also in terms of the honey. And that, you know, kind of making use of, of that in and of itself isn't a problem. It's the over-exploitation of it, right? It's the, you know, turning the bees purely into a kind of resource. And so what what she enacts which is so great i think is that there's a place for the human right that humans should be able to i mean they will necessarily depend on other living things in order to survive what they don't have to do is they don't have to kind of push it to the limit like you said this ultimate optimization where you push bees to their absolute you know limits of survival
1: you know to extract the last you know drop of honey out of them as i was watching the film and not knowing really where it's going because it's a uh barely free form, at least at the beginning. She's living in a part of the world where we didn't see any indication that there was a lot of flowering plants that were working at any one time. Yeah, that's right. And, and I just don't know how the commercial people, the kind of tension that you mentioned with the neighbors coming in, how they could really get the kind of uh, the kind of productivity that the the outside man wanted. Uh, from the the ecosystem they were living in. Those uh, areas, uh, I'm not exactly clear on what the climate is like all the time in Macedonia, but it's close enough to a Mediterranean habitat that you wouldn't expect to have much productivity of flowers uh, in the middle of the summer, just at the time when these other people were trying to ramp up and uh, extract more from... It's like squeezing, squeezing uh, juice from a fruit that's dry already. Right. Yeah. They,
0: they talk about it being a desert and it, you know, that she depends on the grasses. I don't know how much pollen <laughs>
1: the grasses, uh, aren't, grasses don't do anything for bees, really, as far as pollen is concerned. Interesting. And, and it was uh, they did show that they were having uh, the, the neighbors, the other way of looking at things was trying to modify the the habitat by burning juniper trees out. and That that really kind of resonated with me. I didn't know that this was going to happen as I was looking at the movie, but we have a big deal in this area, in this cold desert that we live in, in Utah, of managing juniper and uh, juniper kind of being uh, seen as uh, an invasive and biologists will disagree about how much of an invasive it is. It's definitely a native, but it can invade into habitats that we don't like. Anyway, into habitats that we want to be something else, like to uh, build cattle production. And they showed that quite, quite poignantly, how that, uh, that system wasn't working very well either.
0: Right. Yeah. It kind of taxes the ecosystem. It, it tries to a one size fits all kind of mentality where instead of looking at what the place is and what it can support, you know, trying to, you know, trying to make it fit. What, what did you make out of the, the relationship? I thought that this was an important part of the film, her relationship with the, the neighbors. Um, I mean, th- there was a tension clearly that emerged as, as what they were doing started to impact her bees. But there's also a very touching kind of dimension that she very much benefits from the the interaction with them, that she's kind of lonely. And she has these really wonderful relationships, particularly with the children. Did you see a parallel going on between those kinds of relationships and her relationships with the bees, with her relationship with, with the place that she lived? Well,
1: I really liked how she worked with the bees. I am a bit fearful of working with bees. I would, I would wear a, a, a bonnet all the time and a, a, a mesh, uh, like mm-hmm. think of the, the better word. But uh, they never showed in the film where she was stung. And that may be beekeepers get stung in general. Right. But uh, she wasn't Especially worried about working with that. wild bees. Watching her lift the, lift the cover off of the, the rock wall hive system she had for the colony close to home. It was just lovely to see how that happened. And then when she got the one child that was uh, tired of getting stung or whatever, she really came through and treated him very gently. didn't? I don't remember her yeah. saying anything like, your mom and dad are abusing you or whatever. Not, that didn't come, come through in any way. But she uh, let that, that child blossom and be their own thing. Yeah, and I, I
0: I think that there's some kind of interesting you know metaphor that you know is going on with that. The documentary itself, I thought, was interesting too. And I mentioned that it has this direct cinema kind of style where there's no narration. We're really you know, left wondering, okay, what is the, you know, the story here? They shot over three years, the filmmakers shot with a kind of a skeleton crew, they ended up with over 400 hours of footage that they needed to edit together to make this. And I, I think they did take some liberties. I was at a question and answer with the the filmmakers at Sundance a year ago, where it played, it won the top documentary award there that year. And, and they admitted that they're there was some creative license taken in putting the footage together to help create more of a story arc with the with the neighbors. There's things that were shown out of order, uh, even though it's all true to life. You know, it kind of maybe took this license to, to give it more of a narrative arc because we need that, too, right? That it, when you have that kind of open and direct style, it can be a little bit disorienting sometimes. And, you know, that gave it at least a, a kind of a backbone of a story, kind of the con- contrast of these two Uh, these two basically different uh, sorts of approaches you mentioned in a previous conversation that we've had uh, another film that we showed at IC about honey a film called more than honey how would you contrast these two kinds of documentaries the one more than honey is a little bit more the talking head kind of documentary where we we have people being more or less interviewed Uh, we have different places in the world all talking about bees here it's much more open yeah, how, how would you put these two in conversation with each other?
1: Well, both films had a storyline, if you will, of it was an us and them kind of idea. We're against this thing. So they, in the film that we were talking about, Honeyland here, her classic uh, old school sort of thing, taking care of the, the wild bees, and then another group in coming in and trying to, trying to really monetize this and turn this up to a, a high level of, uh, of money making, in part to take care of this huge family that they were, they were feeding with this uh, operation. You're I also, before I get too far astray, really wanted uh, a little bit better to know what was the relationship between this new family and this woman. They are probably relatives. Uh, all the the wide shots of the village showed that there's nobody else really. (laughs) That's right. Well, and they're both
0: Turkish speakers, um, which is a a minority in this area too. So yeah, they could in some way be related, you're right.
1: And initially they were a lot of good give and take uh, between the father and Hazizi about how things were going to happen, about how he needed to, to respect her her hives and, and and such but it's really quite interesting how a, a whole big family could move in with a modern travel trailer pulled in by a tractor and then they were uh, now part of this little village out in the middle of nowhere uh, or seemingly in the middle of nowhere yeah so that really interested me that they could tolerate each other to such a high level that they, they were so close just a a stone fence away from each other's lives, and yet they were, had a different approach to it. Where did these, uh, this group go? I spent some time with nomads, and I had never thought about nomads of Macedonia moving cattle significant differences, so it would enlighten me to see that this might be a lifestyle that happens there.
0: Yeah, well, and, and maybe even something about that nomadic lifestyle that disassociates people with, with place, right? I mean, this is kind of the way Wallace Stegner, you know, talks about that there's a, a certain kind of danger that, that comes. He's speaking specifically about kind of nom nomadicism within american culture where we're so quick to pull up stakes and move on to the next you know the next place to the frontier and that that weakens this relationship with with place and in, in well
1: ways. but but i but i'm talking about some of the nomads that i've worked with they definitely have a sense of place there mm-hmm. it's a cyclical nomadism if that's a word yeah. uh, where they're they're revisiting ideas uh places and I didn't quite get how that all fit in, in this Honeyland film. I was very pleased to see the, the way it was presented, how she took near the beginning of the film, took a, a couple of liters of her honey into town to sell them. And it showed this uh, uh, slightly more strangely dressed person going into a, a, a market, an open market sort of place. And to see the reaction of the people that would possibly be buying her honey. And they were much more respectful of her in their own way about whether they, they said they appreciated her product and they knew that it was better for their customers and that it would sell. But in the end, they gave her the same price that uh, the guy that was selling uh, 200 liters or whatever the, the amount was of, yeah. industri- of industrial honey. and. The interaction between the market person and and Hazizi in town was still respectful, whereas the market person and the the father that was stressed trying to feed his family wasn't a respectful interchange. And uh, that, that I found that interesting in the film uh, as well.
0: Okay, so one last question for you, Riley. Tell us a little bit about bees. What is
1: it that we need to know about bees? Bees... The honeybee, this uh, European honeybee, probably had its origins close to where this, uh, this movie was taking place, at least uh, one variety. There are several different subspecies of the Apis mellifera, as the species, and different kinds of bees live in different places. And we've heard a lot about killer bees uh, in the past uh, 30 years, sometimes uh, we prefer to call them Africanized bees. They can have their own personalities. And as I watched the bees as they were on the hive, the woman's hives, they were very calm bees. She definitely still used a a smoker to to anesthetize them uh, slightly is how that works. Uh, But they were calm bees and they were never uh, highly agitated and uh, they were also a thing that I've learned because I had also seen the movie *More Than Honey*. These were the the black bees that, in the movie, some racism came out in the *More Than Honey* movie, oh, where yeah. the where the the Swiss beekeeper who who loved his bees and you could see that he was having a hard time keeping the old system going over there. But these were the black visitors that came over the mountain, and it yeah. was a. But yet, over in Hazizi's place. They were calm and they were doing their job, and she was getting enough honey to make uh, some sort of a living, where she's helping to support her mother. And it was wonderful. We didn't mention the interplay between yeah, that's true. This this very old woman that's uh, needing to be encouraged to keep her joints working or whatever. But I I liked seeing this daughter talk uh, daughter of fifty seven or so years. Uh, old to, to this 85-year-old woman that's uh, uh, bedridden just to, to see how they could speak bluntly with each other about uh, what they wanted to accomplish with their lives. But back to your bees. You could see the, the, as the, the family beekeepers were having a much more difficult time with uh, agitation of the colonies They were using the same smoking techniques of the the puffs of uh, carbon dioxide, especially to slow the bees down, but it wasn't working so well for them. And they were trying to speed up a process that, you know, it it glorified Hazizi's uh, way of doing it perhaps, but it was lovely to see that the bees were reacting differently to these two different uh, techniques, if you will. Yeah,
0: these are different approaches. Well, Riley, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast today and for being such a regular supporter of international cinema.
1: Oh, I, I love it. Thanks for the good work you do. And uh, keep bringing uh, uh, movies that I wouldn't see any other way.
0: That was Honeyland that we were talking about, a documentary uh, about Macedonian beekeeping.